For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I continue this morning uh, the series we began a couple weeks ago of things which the scriptures put forward as marks of Christian maturity. Uh, you'll recall that three weeks ago we talked about, I talked about uh, costly generosity as being one of the marks that distinguishes a mature Christian. Uh, two weeks ago we talked about dependency, living life dependent on God the Father in thought and in practice uh, rather than just dependent on ourselves. Last week, Father Alan preached. Um, I'm thankful to him for that. And this week, I want to um, speak about a third mark of Christian maturity, which is found in our passage um, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians this morning. I couldn't come up with a very catchy way of titling it. The best I could come up with is inclusive identification, uh, which is a terrible sounding phrase. Um, But I'll unpack exactly what I mean by it as we go along because I really do think this is something which distinguishes Christian maturity. In order to unpack what I mean by inclusive identification, it's important to understand the context, what's happening in the real world on the ground that Paul is speaking into when he writes the letter to the Ephesians. In the background, on the ground, is the reality which uh, prompts so much of what God spoke through his apostles in the New Testament, and it is a clash between two different groups that lived together in the earliest church, the Jews and all non-Jews, the Gentiles, which was sort of the category name for whether you came from Italy or Greece or Egypt or whatever, you were a non-Jew. Because in the first days of the church, when Peter and Paul, before we called them St. Peter and St. Paul, um, were walking around, testifying to what God has done in Jesus Christ by dying on the cross. Those who heard that message and believed it and started to gather together as Christians to worship Jesus Christ in this sort of fullest, the full revelation of the God of Abraham, um, half of the people that gathered had Jewish blood in their veins and for all their life up till that point had practiced Jewish religious practices. And the other half didn't have Jewish blood, they had Greek or Italian or whatever blood, um, and they came from all different kinds of religious backgrounds. And when these two groups came together, they came together with the purpose to worship Jesus, but it was the together piece that caused a lot of friction and a lot of trouble. You see, for um, 1,500 years, God gave the law to Moses around the year 1500 uh, B.C., For 1,500 years, the Jews had lived within their God-given identity that was exclusive to themselves against all other nations. And that identity, um, obeying the law that God gave Moses, there were many parts of that which were not visible. Like no one out in the world would notice if you had violated commandment number 10 and coveted for a moment. Um, But there were many things which were very visible to the world around them. And a few had really kind of risen to the fore, chiefly circumcision, which any time you went to a public baths would have been noticeable. Going down to Jerusalem to worship in only that one particular temple. And then most of all, perhaps, most sort of in the day-to-day life of most Jews, was avoiding certain foods, like the foods that God had said were unclean, chief among them pork and all pig products. 
So the Jews, they carved out this identity and these particular obediences were very public. The Romans noticed them and they thought it was odd. We'll come to that in a minute. But I want to sort of tease out a little bit just how jarring it was for Jews and non-Jews to come together in the early church. Because we hear about sort of food laws and that's so foreign to us both culturally and as a part of our religion that I think we kind of miss the real gravity of it. And so I was trying to think, well, what would it be like if you were a Jew to see your sort of Greek neighbor eating pork? And the best I could come up with is that, imagine if you're out in your backyard and you see your neighbor out with his dog and he just kills his dog and then eats it. You'd be like, what? you don't eat dog and then you just ate your pets. Right? It, it was that level, even more so, because God had given the commandment um, for the Jews to see their neighbors eating these forbidden foods. And because their identity had been so exclusive, it was jarring just living among non-Jews as a Jew. Again, as an example of this, imagine if you're downtown Auburn and you see someone with a bright red Alabama t-shirt. No offense, Scott and Elizabeth. Um, you know, it's like, hey, what's going on here? There's a sense of like, whoa, there's difference and clash and antagonism just in the public sphere, just being out in public. Um, and now these Jewish men and women who have believed the gospel of Jesus, who've gathered with the Christian church in their town, they're now put alongside, they're rubbing shoulders with people who are probably still smell like pork that they've been eating the night before, um, whose lives looked really detestable and offensive to them. And they're told, okay, yeah, just be the church together. So you can see, right, how instinctive, how naturally, the, one of the very first heresies that arose in the church that we see recorded in the New Testament is Christians of Jewish descent saying, you know, if you're going to belong to this Christian church, you need to keep more of the Jewish laws. You need to get circumcised. You need to follow the food laws. And they started to say to all the Gentiles, all the non-Jews, you've got to look a bit more like us if you're going to fit in here. And what we see catalogued chiefly in Galatians chapter 2 when Paul confronts Peter, but most of all in Acts chapter 15, which records what we call the Jerusalem Council that took place in the year 49, when this party, this sort of subsect within the early church who was saying, everyone, all these Gentiles, they need to get circumcised if they're going to be a part of the church. They sort of brought this to all the apostles and the elders, it says, you know, Peter and Paul and James and all the apostles and elders, they gathered together, they sort of heard the argument, and Peter gets up and says, look, if you try and take on the yoke of the law, you've got to take on the whole thing. And it's impossible to take on the whole thing. He says, we Jews have been trying to do that for 1,500 years and have done a really bad job of it. How are we going to expect these Gentiles to take on this whole thing? We cannot force them to take on the yoke of the law. And so the apostles with one mind, James gets up to speak, and Paul gives his testimonies, and all the apostles come together and they say, no, what God has done in creating a church means that these old rules no longer apply. We don't follow the Jewish things that mark them as, as separate circumcision and, and food laws. So that very first heresy gets put down really quickly and gets sort of said, no, 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 no. This Christian gathering, the worshipping and the ordering in Jesus Christ uh, is, is now has transformed the law, as it says in Ephesians, the law of ordinances. So that's how the Jews viewed the Greeks, right? There was this problem that it smelled like pork and they violated what was for them a deeply entrenched cultural practice. Um, the view from the other side was equally sort of unfriendly. Imagine you're a Greek and you hear this gospel and you say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And you come to church and there are these people who, um, these Jews who, you know that you as a Greek belong to this 
noble civilization based on profound philosophy and the empire you're a part of has conquered the world and brought you all this wealth and you've traveled the world and everywhere you go you run into these people with these funny haircuts and they wear slightly different clothes and they kind of gather together and they speak their own language. Why don't they just speak Greek? And they sort of seem like this... Um, so they are, they are, they very much are this other group that, it, that seems odd to a Greek mindset. Again, to try and think about what this felt like, to me it's sort of like when you see a bunch of Amish folk come in at Walmart, and you're like, oh, that's just, why don't, they're so different. Now that's not quite a good analogy because the Amish are Christians, but um, maybe a better one would be if you've ever seen a Muslim woman in a burqa, like the full modesty veil to the ground, there's a sense of like, okay, that's just really different. I just, I don't really like that. Why don't you fit in with the rest of society? That's how I feel when I see those things. It would have been the same way for the Greeks to run into the Jews and say, ah, why are you a part of this weird other group that does all these practices that aren't normal to society? And so you can see how this, the very next sort of trouble in the church, the first one was to try and make the Gentiles be more Jewish, the next sort of wave of difficulty the church encountered was the Gentiles saying, let's just get rid of all that Jewish stuff. It's kind of weird and odd and old-fashioned and let's just kind of have this be a more Greek and philosophical angle on Christianity. And again, God inspires his apostles to put that down. This is what we see in Romans 9 and 10 and in the passage we heard this morning. God saying to the Gentiles, no, 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 no. God's Favorite people are the Jews. You are grafted into them. The privileges of them being relate, able to relate to God have come through them. You need to work together. You can't Greekify the Jews and you can't Jewify the Greeks. You can't do that. So that's the scene that sets so a picture. Jews and non-Jews rubbing shoulders together in the local church. Understanding that, listen again to a few verses from Ephesians 2. And I think it will pop out with a bit more meaning. Starting at verse 14. Yeah, feel free to follow along in your bulletin if you like. This is what, in the, in the face of this situation on the ground in the church, God spoke through St. Paul to say this. Jesus, verse 14, he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both, Jew and non-Jew, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he... God might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to the, you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, Jesus we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Right. So you see what Paul's doing there? He's saying, what he's saying is, if you apprehend what God has done in the cross rightly, recognizing that he has forgiven each of us our sins, whether you're Jew or non-Jew, he's forgiven you, and reconciled you to himself if you believe in him and have been grafted into his living body, the church, through baptism, if you grasp that, all those things which were exclusive identity markers before, if you were a Jew as you looked at non-Jews, or if you were a Greek as you looked at Jews, these things by which you used to define yourself against other people, 
in Christ Jesus, that all gets broken down. It just, the cross blows them out of the water. If you're a forgiven sinner, who cares what blood is in your veins? Who cares what practices you defined yourself by beforehand? You have a new identity now. The same identity. Christian. Before, um, you could draw lines in the sand. I don't eat pork. You do. It's always us and them. But in Christ, for all Christians, there's no them. Every Christian is us. This was sort of the chief presenting, stirring up problem in the early church. And God answered definitively. There aren't two factions within the church, Jew and non-Jew. There's one church, united in one spirit, worshipping the one God. That's what I mean by inclusive identification. Recognizing all Christians as us. Now, the... um, the particular presenting issue in the first century of Jewish descent or non-Jewish descent has been settled. There isn't trouble about that in the church these days. But the principle remains the same because as humans, it's our tendency, right? In whatever defines us, we kind of want to draw a line in the sand and say, yes, this is us and that is them. Right? We'll pick anything, anything that we value or can make an identity out of. And I believe the truth that God has for us in Ephesians chapter 2 is the same in the 21st century as in the 1st century. That in Christ, we need to actually not do that as a matter of discipline and will sometimes. We need to not put any um, exclusive badge of identity in the way of Christian unity. Along any lines that you want to pick, it is the mark of an immature Christian who says, well, I'm white, or I'm black, or I'm southern, or I'm Northern, or I'm American, or pick your thing, right? Whatever we sort of define ourselves by. If we let that interfere with the unity we have in Christ Jesus, we're failing to grasp the common ground we really stand on as sinners before God who've been forgiven by his mercy. A mature Christian, on the other hand, recognizing what God's done for us, can look any other Christian in the eye, no matter how different, or of any, whatever other sort of things the world might say, they're really different categories, and says, you are my brother. You're part of us. So that's my charge to you this morning. First, to evaluate again the ground we stand on, that we are all sinners before God, all who have been forgiven in Jesus Christ, and then sort of try and practice as it sort of comes up in encounters and conversations this inclusive identification in the body of Christ to say to all other Christians, you are my brother, you are my sister. Even forcibly laying down, as Paul says, the dividing walls of hostility. They're looking down our nose at each other. If we do that, it's a little bit of a labor. If we do that though, we, we more fully honor our Lord Jesus, who has made us one. We're actually betraying the oneness he's given us when we set up these petty sort of looking down our noses at each other within the body of Christ. So let's honor God. Let's honor the one God, in the one spirit, in the one body, by never playing into old dividing walls, but instead recognizing the oneness that we have in Christ Jesus as his holy church. Amen.